Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Center's podcast. So hi, everybody. Um, I just had a knee surgery not long ago, so I cannot bend my leg yet. Which, no, I'm great like this. It's just I cannot do the, the whole fancy thing that I used to do. But um, anyhow, and, and, and actually, that's a very um, a big part of what I wanted to talk a little bit about meditation and all these great things that you have been learning for the last, what, what is it, been two months, right? That they've been having the talks about the ailings? Uh, yeah, July. Is, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Last two months, yeah. yeah. So the last limbs, they all have a lot to do with each other. So it's almost like you need them a lot. Okay, so anyhow, so um, I don't know some of you and I'm so excited that you guys are here because that makes it even more special when new people that I have never seen are part of a talk and then especially meditation. So my name is Alexandra Santos and uh, I found meditation and I want to talk a little bit about that because I think it might relate with all of us, right? After practicing asana for a couple of years, it was not so late. I think I was practicing maybe for four years when I started feeling like my asana practice, it was a little empty. I was just like, okay, I'm doing all this. I'm jumping back, jumping through, I'm sweating a lot. But I still feel that there's something missing in my practice. And I, I was quite not sure what it was. In my first trip to Mysore, um, everybody told me that we really don't practice meditation yet that we, we should do just more asana and asana and asana and that will kind of develop within the context of the physical practice. So I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I'll just wait. And then one day I meet this very interesting man, which um, he is from the lineage of the Sivananda. I don't know if you guys know Sivananda. It's another style of yoga. And he's very bhakti and very devotional and they do a lot of chanting and singing. And then I had not really been exposed to that part, and I really loved it. And then he asked me, do you like to learn meditation? And I'm like, yeah. And I thought that obviously it was no different between Shivananda, Ashtanga, whatever meditation, right? Because it's all the same. Um, but every style of meditation has their unique form and the unique practice, and then the way how they uh, do the exercises are completely different. So that's how I started it. Um, and I think at the beginning he will invite me to his ashram and he only wanted to talk about mangoes. <laughs> and you know, I'm an Ashtangi, so I really wanted it to know, like I wanted it to practice, whatever it was I wanted it to do. And he would sit down and just talk to me about his farm and his mangoes in India. And I was like, okay. And that happens for five months. I would go there, and you know what? After the second month, I really liked the mango conversation. <laughs> and I don't know if you know, but in Miami, a lot of people don't like to talk to you in general. So it's just like, you know what? This is nice. I just come here and sit with this nice old man, and we talk about mangoes, sometimes random coconuts, but it was mainly mangoes. And I got used to it, and I, and I got used to something very beautiful. I got used to not to ask him anymore about actually what I was invited for, which was meditation, because therefore, I was like, maybe he just needs company. And I'm just gonna show up every Saturday for the mango conversation. Until one day, he told me, I think you're ready. And I'm like, are we gonna change the subject out of mango? And he's like, yeah, 
I'm gonna start teaching you a little bit of exercises about meditation and I got so excited. And my excitement didn't last very long because by the third month I was only meditating for two minutes and the rest we were talking about mangoes. So one day I told him that I thought that I was ready for more than two minutes. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yep. He's like, how long can you see in Lotus? Lotus? I'm Lotus all the time. <laughs> Easy. It's like, okay. So he got me to this little room, cozy little room, and he's like, all right, full Lotus. And I'm like, tuk, tuk. I'm ready. He's like, okay. He's like, I'm going to come back and I'm gonna leave you here. You do not release your legs. That's the only command that I'm gonna give you. No matter what happened, you're gonna stay there with your legs like that. And I'm like, okay, for how long? He's like, don't worry about that. And I'm like, okay. He goes, and I'm there in my little room. I don't know for how long because it was no clock. Oh, he also advised me not to open my eyes. It didn't matter, I didn't have a, my phone or a watch or anything. All what I know, it was like I was having the biggest panic attack at some point. My eyes were tearing. My whole body, it was hot. Like even my knees were like about to explode. Like my navel, I don't even know what to tell you. Everything itches. I wanted it to scratch my ear, everything. So finally, but I said, because I'm at, right, we're Ashtangis, I'll stay here and I will not. These legs are not opening, I'll tell you that much. And I stay, whatever long it was, and he came back and then he's like, so do you still feel ready for more than two minutes? What do you think it was my answer? Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> I like my two minutes. <laughs> Whatever this was, it was horrible. I want my two minutes, and then I want my three minutes, and four minutes, and five minutes, and six minutes, and build it up for now. Until today, I always ask him, Swamiji, for how long I was sitting in that room? No matter. You learn lesson. That's it, he's from India, so he has his deep accent. So no matter, and that's how we're gonna start our conversation. No matter, for how long, no matter. Because the reality is, if you guys, some of you attend the last talk with team, right? It, do you guys, some of you did? Yes. And do you remember the limp before? Anybody can tell me? What was the limp right before Diana, which is what we're doing today? Hmm? No? Dorana, right? Dorana. And then, just going a little bit back into that, if you guys remember, or if it's new for you because you couldn't attend last week, that's keeping your mind in a single pointed direction. So in the context of giving you different exercises and different things that they will guide you into that, right? So at this point, our mind, it was a monkey mind. And in Dharana, you start saying, okay, I'm gonna start applying these different techniques that again, depend on the style of meditation that you're looking for or whatever, they're going to all be different. But they all have what? The single and same goal, which is keep your mind in a single pointed direction. But at this point, you kind of still practicing, right? It's not like when you're in downward dog and you feel great in downward dog when it was your second class and your heels are up and your hamstring is killing you. I mean, you're still in downward dog, right? But you're not in an easy, kind of calm, downward facing dog. Do that explain to you a little bit the difference? Okay. Then, finally, you're in that downward dog. When you can be there forever, your heels are down, things are looking good. You feel good about your downward facing dog. And now somebody comes and give you something else to do within the context of downward facing dog. And that's what we're gonna be talking today about, Tiana. So you got 
few little exercises about how to keep that single mind pointed in one direction. You get that pack. You sit down every day, you have your clock, five, 10, 15 minutes, you become a pro. You can be there for half an hour. But what is the difference? But you're still attached to that object that you're looking at. For example, did you guys know that little exercise with a candle, that you're gazing a candle? Yeah, anybody's familiar with that? If you're not, please raise your hand. You're not? Okay, so one very simple exercise that they gave you to do the limp before, which is Dharana, is like they ask you to gaze to the flame of a candle, right? And then you close your eyes and you try to keep that image of that flame. As soon as your mind starts giving you all kinds, it's amazing because it will change the color of the flame. It will put a rainbow behind, a flower on the side, all kinds of stuff like that. You open your eyes again, you gaze at the flame again, and you start all over. You do this exercise until your mind kind of loses its power and it stops decorating your flame with all kinds of cool stuff, right? Then, when that point starts, you know that you get that. And that is one exercise to bring your uh, mind into a single pointed direction. But at this point, you're still really trying. Does that make sense? You're trying so hard. Oh, keep the flame. Oh, come on. There's the rainbow. <laughs> Gotta open my eyes again. Oh, I'm hungry. <sighs> that cookie from yesterday. Oh, the dog. I haven't walked the dog. And all that starts coming. So not only decorating your flame with other colors, but also with thoughts, right? So you still, at this point, just fighting. Like a beginner fights for that downward-facing dog, heels down. It's fighting. It's not happening yet. So what is it requires, like anything else? Practice, right? Practice will give you perfection in anything, pretty much. That's the method. You do it over and over and over until one day happens. For how long? Who knows? That's the only difference. So, but when we're in dhyana, we're no longer are attached to that flame. We become the flame. The flame is not bothering us anymore. We don't have to. We're not doing that dirty, that, that dirty work of keeping the mind. The mind is already within the object, and it could be the flower, it could be that you're doing a mantra. It could be that you are gazing at a single dot. It could be anything that you are using as a prop or as a tool to keep your mind in a single pointed direction, but you no longer have that. Now, are you in Samadhi yet? No, because why? That anybody can, what, I mean, you're still, you're like the flame now. That's pretty cool, right? You don't have any more attachments to it. You become a one with the object that you are meditating upon. Of. But are you now in complete freedom? Do your mind is completely surrendered? Or do you still using a technique? Can anybody answer me that? I just want thoughts. I don't like to talk by myself all the time. It's boring. Anybody? No? Just an idea. What do you think? Is, you're still using a technique. Anybody else? Do you think you're still using a technique a little bit? Yeah, yeah right? So For you? Technique or no? Yeah. yeah, right? So we're not there yet. But we're almost there, right? But we're not there yet. So when we see these beautiful magazines and you see that person sitting, 
And they always, I don't know why, they're always damn beautiful. And they glow and the hair is amazing. And you're like, what's up with that, right? And they all feel so blissful, almost like they're in Samadhi. But you and I know that they are not, right? And that you might not even look like that when you are in Samadhi. But we really don't even know because most people who have reached Samadhi doesn't like to talk about it because that spoils the whole point of it. They always tell you, I'm a humble person, I'm a single man, as a simple man, a simple woman. And you're trying to get, well, how does it feel? I'm just a humble person, I'm a simple man. So you can never really get that. That's a, we never know what happens after we die, right? Pretty much we don't know what these people feel in Samadhi. So what we keep doing is finding that meditation practice to see if one day we can experience that sweetness, that sugar that they're talking about that is so amazingly far away for our thoughts to even get there. Why? Why do people practice meditation? Is 89% of the people who practice meditation believe that they will not get to Samadhi. Anybody? If you practice, did anybody practice meditation here? Perfect. Do you have that? Do you ever ask yourself that the majority of the people, because you know, here in the United States, we have to ask people about everything to make numbers. And it seems like that was the number. That's a high number. We all who meditate, when we were asked, almost everybody said, like, nah, I don't think I'm getting Samadhi in this lifetime. Hmm, interesting, right? So we are practicing with something that we, it's not that we don't believe on, but we don't believe that we, as a, the, us as a person, can achieve that. Anybody think why is that? Anybody the one who meditates? Do you ever have that thought and ask yourself why? Please, we're friends. Tell me. So, I used to think that I don't anymore. Mm-hmm. And when I do reflect on that, I tend to think about how it was a grasping, it was an attachment. And I relinquished that attachment all the difference, right? Did anybody get to that point where you got into that? Yes? Exactly. The business is the practice. Yes, for you, please. Now, I think the hardest part is actually to uh, to give up the grasping of the self and the mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's where I think it was one minute ago where you asked it's a tool. And that's a kind of grasping. And for me, for me, leave the ground. Yeah. Uh, so say, okay, everything is grounded and maybe. But the hardest part is to give up that kind of thinking because we, we are very bound to the thinking to the goal. Yeah, and this is very interesting. Yes, you know why? Because when you're in a full room of people practicing, and it doesn't matter what style you practice, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm referring to Ashtanga because that's what I practice, but whatever style of yoga, of asana that you practice, that are all equally beautiful and amazing, you're in a room full of people, they're all sweating, and there is always a little bit edge of competition. Not even if it's in a bad way, but people say, oh man, how did I get that? I just gave her that like a week ago, that was crazy. But whatever, you know, the mind is start getting cut up. But when you are meditating, or you are doing the limb right before, what is just concentration, there is nobody to compete with. 
It's just you, there, alone, dealing with your own demons, with your own fears. Nobody to tell them about, about how great of your meditation practice was because nobody really cares. Nobody takes pictures of you on Instagram doing meditation. It's not that cool. Nobody cares. But I meditate, they're like, oh, well, that's cool. Can you put your legs behind your neck? And you're like, oh, well, yeah, some days. Can you do a handstand? Because that's much cooler, right? But I meditate for 30 minutes. Okay, go on with your day, right? So that is another thing. This is a very solo journey, and a journey with not a lot of support. Hmm? And I don't know if any of you meditators up there have felt that. So for the ones that are new, so what to do when you are not, when you're a little lonely in something that requires a lot of practice and there is a mirror of the ugliest things about you that you just don't want to see. And there it is. Well, when I started at meditation and I started seeing the ugly things, I stopped for three months, I count them and I felt very miserable. And I keep doing my pranayama, my breathing practice, and I keep doing my asana, but that it was something about it that scared me a lot, that I did not want it to go back into it. After three months, I convinced myself that I should go back into it, because obviously I needed it to dig a little bit deeper into whatever that was, right? Um, and then I started asking people, and I did not find a lot of support. Because, and then, but that didn't make me sad. That made me understand that for the first time, I was in a practice that it was not about a teacher. I couldn't, my teacher had already said, bye-bye. I gave you your, what? Your tools. I gave you a book. And now you're by yourself. Deal with it. There is no more nobody hang, holding me by my hand. Nothing. There's no adjustments. There's nobody to talk with. Nobody to ask on Instagram because nobody knows. So what to do? Deal with it. So I sit down every day and I deal with it until it went away and I went into a different phase on my meditation practice. Um, so really the limp right before dharana concentration is the key for starting really deepening into dhyana meditation. And deepest state of meditations are very difficult, but they also a little bit dangerous, you know? You are working with a part, not only on your mind, but on your nervous system that we don't know that much. We go into little places in our brain that are tricky, that we have not explored before. And they sometimes could be a little bit scary. So what to do? But why is it scary? It's not as scary because we always knew that all this information, it was there. It's nothing new. It is only scary because we didn't want to face it. And to become a one with something, you have to feel what? A one within yourself. That's the only way that you can merge with something. Is that right? You cannot become nothing with anything if you're not one within you. So to get that kind of closeness, that intimacy with yourself, it requires major work. And let's talk about that work, right? Okay, so the first thing that I think um, all of us can um, benefit from the limp before is not to do it only by gazing the candle. And this is how we're gonna go into Diana, but it's to do it with our daily task. 
we are bombarded with information and that's what it makes us our meditation practice so so difficult all the phone the kids or the pet or the friends or your husband your wife your partner your boyfriend your girlfriend you name it right you are always being withdrawn from here to here to here and how can you ask your mind to be a single point of direction when since you're very little from school the first day that you show up at kindergarten they told you to do what multitask and better art if you can multitask the most the smarter than you are the better that you are so what are you telling your mind be everywhere and become good at it be efficient I want to be in a hundred places at one. Life loses its flavor when we become like that. We become robots. We're cooking and we're listening to music. We're checking the email. What are you doing? You're eating and you're talking and you're checking your email. You're not eating. So every single thing that used to have flavor and beauty and passion and all, it's, it's been lost. And when we go to certain cultures, you know, like for example, when I go to India, in the chaos, you find peace. How's that even possible? Because they take the minute to bless their food. They take the minute to eat their food with enjoyment. So that moment when your mind is on that task, 100% into it, then you're in the moment. Then you're doing yoga, right? But we're not talking about asana. But then your mind is completely absorbed into one single thing and it's loving it. There's nothing else into it. So how do we do this? Well. We need to learn how to not to pull the plug when you're talking of this thing, the microphone, you see, um, and to kind of stay in one single point of direction in every action that you're doing on your daily life. So for example, you're taking a shower, be 100% in the shower. You're talking to a friend, don't check your phone. Don't, don't even go into, oh man, I'm still talking with this person, but I have dinner at 7 p.m. Don't go there. Submerge yourself in that moment, on that moment with that person, right? You're walking your dog. It's all about your dog. Do that make sense? And as much as we start integrating these little things in our life, our mind, guess what? Learns how to be in a single point of direction most of the time. And by that, by a habitual matter, not by you forcing it in 10 minutes exercise every day because you're forcing it but the rest of the day is completely wild so what is the point yeah you can force it the same thing that you force yourself in an in asana in a, in a practice for an hour and a half but what happened to the rest of the day would you still have that kindness that that um, softness that you have in your practice the rest of the day or as soon as you walk out you're a maniac and you're mad and you scream and you shout so really, these practices are not only to be a half an hour practice, five minutes practice, two minute practice. This is to become a ritual within your life. And that's what it changed the quality of your life. When people say, oh, that person glows. I love it. I want to be around them. What is that energy? How do they get it? I want it. Well, normally these people infuse themselves with energy by sharing energy. More than you share, more than you get. Does that make sense? So there is no meditation if we don't teach our minds that every single moment withdraw. Go back into what I'm doing. I'm 100% of you guys right now. 
I asked my husband to bring my baby. I breastfed the baby on the car. The baby's gone. She's not in my mind any longer. Each of you are. And I'm enjoying this 35 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever that is that we're talking. There's nothing else there. And I learned how to do this two years ago. Because I say, what am I sitting all the time? I sit a lot. I do pranayamas 40 minutes, meditation. Asana is almost two hours, the longest ever. But what happened to the rest of the day? I have three kids. They're all day shouting in different directions. So life can become really chaotic. And I said, now I'm asking my mind to be peaceful. How? My mind is all day crazy. I need to change this. So you know what? I take one kid at a time. And I grab them like this normally and I put them in front of me. What do you want? And the other one is like this. And I don't even know. What do you want? I need my socks. Great. Socks. Can I go and get the socks? And the other one is like, no matter. Socks, here. Next one. What do you want? I want my notebook. Sure. I'll get it. And if you guys, any of you come into my mind, so don't let I teach like that. What do you need? Please don't talk to me. I'm talking to Alan, for example. What do you feel? What do you want? And my attention will be within you the whole time. That I'm good in multitasking for sure. I have three kids. I have to, you know. But I'm letting go that attachment to have to be good at doing millions of things at a time. You know what? I don't have to. I really don't, and I don't want to. I want to be fully in one moment, every single moment, whatever that is. And that's how meditation, that's how you can become part of the flame. Because each of you are a flame right now, and I want to be part of each of you. And therefore, you're my flame today. So if we approach that every day, then therefore, this is not an exercise any longer. This is a way of life. Does that make sense? And I think that's much easier than sitting hours upon hours on a cushion trying to tell a monkey mind who's been all day rampaging, now you need to now for 20 minutes I have my clock. <laughs> right? I got it all set up. I'm in my comfy cushion. My meditation teach me what west, east, whatever, right? They all give you a different one. Every single meditation teacher have a different way of west or facing the room. You never know where you're facing the right direction of the room. So, um, and, and what he said and what she said is really the most important thing. When you drop the desire, they both said that they dropped the desire of Samadhi, is that right? There is no longer desire, so his practice become honest. He just practicing because I'm sure all of you feel better, right? A moment within yourself, and if it's an only a five or ten moments, make you feel a lot better. So whatever that meditation practice it will hold for you, it will make you feel better. And if you don't have the attachment of samadhi, it will come to you. Whatever is this life, next one, or whatever happened, you are working towards that, but without ego and without attachments. And I think that's the number one key. So do anybody after all this, what is meditation? Anybody, in your own words, let's leave the Sanskrit behind us for a minute. Self-reflection. Self-reflection, anybody have a, another word? No? 
Yes, why not? It's therapeutic. Self repression, therapeutic. Presence. Presence. It's also um, allowing. Allowing. So presence, allowing. I like it. Good words, yes. Mindful awareness. Mindful awareness. Unclouded. Unclouded. Less cloud. No desires. No desires. Witnessing. Witnessing. And witnessing of those desires and aversions. And then all of us, they were saying, witnessing the desires. And so, yes, please. Connection with everything joyful. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. I don't meditate, but I would assume that it's quiet in the mind. Quiet in the mind. Anything else? No? All right. We have great words that they describe how we might feel and what we might want to do with this, right? One of the things that is more scary about meditation is that it looks like it's really complex and it's scary and in Sanskrit and with symbols. And it needs to be, you need to be like a badass to do it. And then you're like, but I just put my heels down in downward facing dog. And now I have to study the whole yoga sutras? Like, this is hard, you know? But you know what? It doesn't have to be. It's exactly what he said, what she said, what she said, what she says. It's that simple. It's a word with a lot of meaning. It's witnessing. It's observing. Observing you. What is it? Right? What is it that is pulling me out for, for this state of happiness, of blissful, that I'm, that I'm looking for? Not because I wanted it, because it's your right to be. You were born with it. It's just went away from you. If you have a baby or you ever witness a baby, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but if they're not in, they're blissful, those little things. I mean, they're really out in Samadhi 24 hours a day, unless they're hungry. But as soon as you do that and you change their diaper, they go back into that stage, like that. So it's a right. It was us. They took it away from us. Whom? Schools, teacher, our parents, our friends, our everything, our fears, our limitations. But, it, it, but it's our birthright, and it's there. And we're just trying to what? To dig in and get it back. We're just trying to get it back. So that means if we think about that, we all have it. We just lost it, and we're just trying to find it. So we don't need a fancy book. We don't need a fancy teacher. We'd only need that, the practice, the witnessing, the looking at those moments in our life and those fears and those things that we don't like and digging into them and don't be scared. Meditation can bring all of those. Um, do anybody know what sanskaras mean? And they can, please, in an easy way. It's kind of like our life experiences. Right? An impression, right? Like an imprint. Right there. Like you have many prints every day. Right? But they get stuck. And sometimes we don't even know that they're stuck because some little things that we even overpass and we're like, eh, that was not a big deal. But maybe it was a big deal. And it gets attached to it. And then as we meditate, those things come. And then they vibrate. Some in negative, some in positive way. And we actually feel them. And so tangible that you can almost cut into them. 
and they're scary, and some of them are great. You can have very joyful moments when you're trying to meditate, and you can have sadness and some other things. You know what I mean? But in the, in, in, in the long way, you, do, you put in the work, and you observe it. So let's say that when you're meditating, it's almost like, do you ever are watching TV and you're changing the channels? And you're not really attached with anything because you know it's so boring. You're only looking for this particular movie. So they're talking about the sponge and you sh that soap that is great for your skin. Sh that girl, amazing, the amazing guy looking, good looking, but you, whatever, whatever, whatever. And book, you got the movie. There it is, right? Let's say that that's Dorana. You're passing the channel, passing the channels, and you're not worrying about it until tuck, you get to the movie. And let's say the meditation is you just, you're in the movie, 100% in it. You're not trying, you're not looking for it, you just your attention is on it. You're not asking your mind to be on it, you're just on it, fully, blissfully in it. And that's just like a random example, but something like that, yeah? So what I wish I can convey with this um, short talk about meditation is like, don't let it be fancy. Don't let it be complicated. Sit down for a minute or two or three, whatever your mind allows you. And if you already do your concentration exercise and you got really good at it, remember like we talked, don't try to skip limbs. It never works. That's like you're trying to skip asana in your practice. And normally, if you cannot bind in one that he asks you to do it in one single knee, when you bring in the two knees, you think you're gonna bind? Eh. Mostly not. But you're gonna be very frustrated. It's the same with meditation. First, try dharana, concentration. Do that little thing in your daily life. Pull yourself out of the multitasking. Leave yourself fully in every single moment. Teach your mind to be fully in every single moment. And do your candle exercises, and all the exercises are extremely helpful. And when that, you got it on your pocket, then start your meditation practice. And like he says, with no what? Expectations. Don't worry about samadhi. It's just another limp up there. You should not worry about that. Just do your work every day, little by little, and see how it goes. Do you need a meditation teacher? I think meditation teachers are great. I mean, I love my meditation teacher, but I could only have him for a little bit because he didn't want to teach me anymore. That was that. At some point, your meditation teacher doesn't want you anymore because this is a solo work. But is it a great? Sure, because guidance and everything in life is just awesome. So if you can find a meditation teacher, that's great. They always said that finding a meditation teacher is good karma. When you find that good person that he wants to help you to you know, start the journey. But if you don't find one, don't be afraid to start. Start with Dharana, start with your Pranayama, with your Yamas and Niyama, and I'm sure you guys have gone in order each of the limbs, you know? Start each of the limbs in order, and then fully be in them. And then develop your own practice and don't be scared. When scary things come, just get scared and you stop being scared like anything else right we are never scared forever is that right not even when we were a kid I mean you were scared of that movie The Exorcist I was so scared and then then finally I mean it gave me nightmares my brother made me watch it when I was like seven years old crazy and then I think I need therapy after that <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but like anything else I get over with 
And then, you know, and then you see it when you're like 30, you're like, that doesn't even look real when she does the thingy with the head, you know? And so things that they were, and I'm really telling you this because things that sometimes they're like massive in your life, 10 years later, she just laughed about it because that's how we grow. We grow in our own skin every day and we become stronger, right? So things that they were checking us in the past, they no longer will. And that's why yoga is here also, to aid in that process, to make you stronger and to make check things out. It's all right. It will pass. Does that make sense? Any questions? Yes. Good question. Mm. I'm in the laying down phase right now because when I sit with my, after my knee surgery, I mean, I used to do my full lotus in my old fancy thing, but right now, um, I can't cross, and even if I cross modestly, I, my knees start hurting after a certain point, and, and that also makes me go away out of my focus, because then I'm focusing on the knee. So I'm doing um, laying down, and I find one thing, and I like to experience, I know people have a lot of different, but in my own experience, it is a little bit harder because it makes you sleepy. It's not impossible, but I would definitely not give that a beginner that tool because I struggle with it because my mind thinks that the relaxation that it comes from me laying back is like, let's go to sleep. Yeah, but you see, that's a guided relaxation. You see, when you are meditating and when you're doing the, the limb before, you are actually, your mind is pretty sharp. You are pretty attent. You are on it, you know. Um, guided relaxation is different. It's great. I love it. And if I give you a massage at the end, amazing. <laughs> Applause. But it's really not the same. But listen, I find that it very, very useful because as soon as you learn how to relax, then hey, that's a big win on the mind because the mind doesn't like relaxation that much. It likes it for one second and like, let's move it. What are we doing now? Let's go eat. You see? So when you learn how to relax and do that, then the next thing, it becomes closer to you. So definitely, yes, it's good. Mm -hmm. Any other question? I'm in the question mode right now. I think I stopped talking now. Yes. So I would just share that if you're going to lie down, which I have to do right now sometimes because my knee is sprained, so I can't sit with it. Mm -hmm. um, if you put your hand like this, you can't fall asleep. Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah, just like that. Like I'm lying on my back, so your hand is right. 90 there we go, and that makes you, yeah, sharp. That's why also when you're doing, um, and sometimes like at least once a year, I do a meditation workshop here, and you guys are more, and it's really concentration, you know? Um, but in this workshop, I teach people techniques of, even when you're doing Japa Mala, and all certain different techniques of how to use thumbs and mudras and things to keep you awake. Because they do energize you, so they're great to use it because they aid into your um, concentration states. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah, well, I did have a question. So yeah. I, I don't want to say grew up, but I learned that now I teach in the Buddhist tradition as well as certain neuroscience and psychology backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so I'm less familiar with the tradition that you come from. When I teach meditation, I teach it as a pyramid where at the base you have really basic skills of noticing, mm -hmm. which helps us then to um, stop resisting mm -hmm. and to allow things and then to have a clearer mind, which mm -hmm. then allows us to go into concentration.
concentration, which then allows us to go into the contemplation, and then there's emptiness at the top of the pyramid. And right. I'm wondering, in this tradition, how do you think about that? Well, I think it is, I mean, again, because in the point of view where you see it in Buddhism, but in this, in this other point, it's more bhakti, so it's more devotional. So they use more, a lot of chanting with japa mala, right? So that's the first, sound is the first way that they enter into the mind, which is different for you guys because you you actually not using sound, is that right? Right, so that's what I'm saying that there's so many different techniques, although I have done that as well. It, I have done many, many, many techniques. And the beautiful thing about it is that one thing that it resonates from one individual, it won't for another one, you see? Sound is very healing. That's why um, in Shivananda they use sound almost for anything, because that vibration allows the mind to go into a what? A neutral stage, you know? First, they do the sound by repeating the sound, and that's the more beginner stage, which is what you call the base of your pyramid, right? But then, as the student evolves, the sound is on your mind. You no longer well, say the sound, and that becomes a lot more difficult. Um, so in all the different um, techniques and different studies, including the ones that, that you just mentioned that I have done, what it resonated with me the most is when I met this older man in India who told me about what did you do when you're cooking? And sometimes, maybe because I come from a lineage where single words are the way how they communicate with us, because unfortunately Guruji couldn't speak that much English, so you would be like, he would just give you, and Shara talks more, but he still chooses to, not because of lack of language, just to little, give you little, little pieces of information. So when I met this man, and he told me about this, it really blew my mind. Because in no other method of meditation, anybody told me what to do with my mind the rest of the time that I was not meditating. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, sure. It's mindfulness in the Buddha taught this concept yeah. that when washing dishes, yeah. also washing dishes. Yeah, yeah. Before enlightenment, wash yeah. dishes, and after enlightenment, focus on washing dishes. Oh, fucking washing dishes. Yeah, so. But the way how he said it, and again, it was more practical. It was as practical as not only washing the dishes, but even how you communicate with others. But when you put in your shoes, or where, and, and I follow Buddhism, and that's what I do, but in, in, in all that, it resonates with me. But for some reason, what this man said, in the simplicity of his life, in his little house where he was living, and it just become real. It didn't become a book anymore. Does that make sense? And then I saw it for the first time, in practicing, not because of, you know, um, when I go, even when I go to India, they have a settlement, a, a Tibetan settlement, and I always go there, and, and you know, I like to be part of their um, prayers and everything like that. And, but, and again, I'm a Buddhist. But that always feels very imposed. Is that the right word? But when I met this man, there was nothing imposed. He was that. And I, have, and I know a lot of monks, but that man, that simple man, it was the environment of that. And every moment that he was talking to me, I felt that 100% connection, like anything that it was happening where he was, it was not there. And I had never felt that connection before, although I had studied with amazing teachers. And then 
I learned something very important that trip to India, that the simplicity is really what everything lays on. And then the too much information he told me is bad for my brain. He said, because you want to learn so much and you want to know so much. And that is working against you. I said, because it's not that complicated. And he was really the environment and not being so complicated. And I never saw him again. He didn't want to teach me again either. It's okay. But that one single day that that person who brought me to that teacher, who did not want to see me again because he doesn't want to see you again. It's just like a one kind of conversation who did not want me to give him any money, who did not want anything from me, but telling me, you have too much knowledge on your brain. Take that knowledge out. And when you share, share without that knowledge because you're sharing from your heart. That was priceless. Because all my studies and all my readings of book and all my sharing with different Buddhist teachers and whatnot became a little bit like, huh, he's right. It should not be that complicated. But that's my humble point of view right now. And that's where I'm at right now. Is it the truth? No. Why? Because it's my own perception of my own what? Reality. What it might not be real at all. So that saying, all what I really, well, all what I'm here today talking to you about this is because I would love for you to try to practice because you want to feel better not because you have any goal oriented either um and there are so 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 many different styles of meditation and so 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 many teachers and principles and things like that that you will gonna have to choose what it resonates within you and what is it good for you nobody can really tell you that i mean you know and sometimes by experience you do this and then you're like eh, maybe not maybe this is better until you find that that it, that is good for you does that make sense? Did that answer your question or kind of not? Yes, in fact, I think you answered it even in a way that you may not have realized that you answered it. And the reason is because, so, you know, in Buddhism, the top of the pyramid is emptiness. Mm -hmm. And they don't say you achieve emptiness because there is no achievement. There's not achievement. Right. Realization of emptiness. And you just, that simplicity you described is, to me, what that is. That emptiness. Yeah. What I'm curious about is in the tradition, like the Hindu tradition, this, mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. is there something that is not as a goal, but rather as, because emptiness is perceived to be ultimate truth, right? Correct. And so I'm wondering in this tradition, is there something that is the, the ultimate object to contemplate, such as emptiness? I think their emptiness is the union with God, because so yes, yes, please. Isn't not emptiness plus impermanence? Well, emptiness and permanence—they kind of go together. They go together. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that's ultimate truth. Emptiness is ultimate truth, is that things are absent of inherent meaning. Independent. No, absent of. Absent of. It's not any on it, you know. There is no inherent. In other words, 
Everything is mm -hmm. a projection of our sense of reality. Mm -hmm. There is no, there is no reality that we are capable of perceiving that is true. So once we know that, we understand that we don't know what we don't know. And once we realize that we don't know what we don't know, then if there's a vast amount that we don't know, we don't know how that impacts what we think we know, which means we can't know that either. It's always a subjective truth, yeah. based on all perceptions. Right. So that's why I told no, you that this is my perception right now. Is it a true? Probably not. Which then allows you to yeah. stop grasping at things as true, stop needing, stop being attached to things, and to simply be. Mm -hmm. And we go from human doing to human being. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're different school, although they're going to present to the, um, they, they're going to present you the process in different ways, they all merge into the same at the end. Does that make sense? It's just different tools and different ways to go into the same path and get into the same place at the end. And in a way, that's the beauty of it. Because, like we said with the different asana yogas, right? They all are trying to bring you to what? To eventually understand all the eight limbs, right? And eventually not to get stuck in the asana and then continue and then continue and then continue and then continue. If you only stay in the asana, which is fine, you won't be able to develop the other limbs or to understand them or to get not the benefit because there's nothing to benefit of, really. It is, when people say that, that is their own truth in that particular moment, in their own reality where they're trying to grab. It's like if I meditate that I feel healthier, then now doctors even sell you that. I mean, people tell you, if you meditate, you'll feel better. If you do sound healing, you'll feel better. But why are you feeling bad anyways that you need to feel better? Let's start from that, you know? So there is so many layers into this onion that you have to like peel it off. But the whole point is that it could be nerve-wracking, complicated, or it can be very simple like the humble man in India. Then that makes sense. And, the other, and we choose, you know. I like to study, so I went into learning a lot and reading a lot, and I wanna see this, and I wanna know that. And then I dropped that poor meditation teacher that I had that swami crazy, um, to the point that I think I needed it to talk about mangoes. I needed it that. I needed it three months or four months, whatever it was of mangoes, you see? Because it was his way of doing what with my mind. To the point that I didn't even wanted it to talk about meditation anymore. I liked the mangoes. <laughs> my mind did, you see? So it's like you're training a baby how to walk and how to do things, you yes. You a really interesting point that I'm curious about. So in Buddhism, you know, you have uh, the initial teachings and then you have Tantra and you can't study Tantra. Until you have initial teachings, yeah. Teacher. And the reason is because you'll misperceive the understanding of Tantra if you just were to go into it because there's this conventional sense of how things are. Mm -hmm. So feeling better, as you mm -hmm. put it, right? Mm -hmm. But what is it that we're making feel better? Exactly, so you don't have that base. And who is it that is, as, as you well aware, who, who is feeling better, mm -hmm. right? And so, before you have that base, you can't study Tantra, and I'm wondering, is 
the same in the Advaita tradition? I feel like in a way it is. I find that Buddhism is a little bit more practical, right? In a way how they layer their system. Um, and I feel like here is more devotional. And when you have devotion, it all really depends on where the student can admit or see God or the presence of the goodness of God. So it is kind of the same, but it's, it, it is layered in a totally different way. So for my teacher, for example, that he's from the Shivananda lineage that is extremely bhakti, his question will always lead into that. Do you feel the connection with something a lot greater than you with God? And the name God, it was, you know, and, and it has different name, Purusha. I mean, you, you, you can choose whatever name they want to put it on, but it was really upon that divinity, reaching that. Because by you getting close to that, then you're getting close to something very different, which is what? Liberation. Right? Then you become a what? A Jiva Mukta. Is that right? And now we're going into a whole different part of the, of the story, which is so totally different of what you're talking about. Is that right? Uh, well, in a in, way. In Buddhism, liberation would be from samsara. So that would be through the achievement of, or the realization. But, the reali but now with God, though. Right. Right. Well, that is the only difference. Well, I think that the, oh, they the don't... nomenclature of God right. is, is troubling uh, from the standpoint that conventionally in the West, we would say, okay, we've got this Judeo-Christian concept of an mm -hmm. external being mm -hmm. with a white beard. Mm -hmm. And in the Eastern traditions, I've found that ultimately each one that I've looked at, and I might be mistaken, but it's really the concept of oneness in it. Yes. And that's it, and the realization of quantum physics is actually proven to be true. More of that is like, is same with, and probably I feel, um, in my own personality, like for me, Buddhism, it made a lot of sense because I'm going back into the source, which is me. I mean, Hinduism didn't make that much sense because the source is not within me, the source is outside me. And I needed it to become one with that outside source. Do that make sense? Okay, so it's an external. It is an external source. And that was it's my. Not, I am that. You are, it is, it is. But with the divine, you have to merge with the divine. And in some point, you are in the divine, it's the freedom. And I might, again, and that might be my reality that I misinterpretate what my teacher was telling me, but that's what I got into it. And then, and, 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 I mean, even if you, if you see the, the Bhagavad Gita and all this book, I mean, you will constantly be referring on that connection with the divine, whatever the divine is. So that's the conventional perspective in yeah. terms of the merger with the divine where the higher teaching is that you are the divine. Is that correct? Like and you, you become the divine. divine. Exactly. And, and when you realize it's like the flame and then you become the flame, you become the divine. And then you find liberation, right? Which it all makes sense at the end of the day. And then again, it's just two different points of view, but kind of resonates the same. Um, but I kind of let go trying to understand all the schools like a couple years ago until I met the man in India. 
And then I decided that I was going to make it more fresh and more simple and more like he said. I would take tasks every day where I would try to do this. And then one thing that it happened to me, it completely changed two things. It changed my physical practice and it changed my teaching. Because when I really apply that, each of them became, it was not a room full of people anymore when I was moving energy. Each of them became such an important role in a whole totally different level that I ever had before. Where everything matters, whether life, if they were sick, if they were not sick, if they were having trouble, they were not having trouble. Each of them became one entity. Before it was a room and I would adjust, I mean, I would care, don't get me wrong, but the, the, the different point of now going into, they were single pointed direction objects now for me. Each of them are that. And that I could only discover after talking to this old man that I could never saw before. Anyway, I think I have an attachment with that. I think I really wanted to see him again. <laughs> Anyhow, we all have attachment, right? I'm Lisa, I know that I have it. <laughs> That's probably my, my first battle that I win. Any other question? I'm sure you guys are hungry. I'm sorry, I probably took too long. I did, I do this a lot. Um, sorry. Any other questions? Where in India was this man? In Mysore. And it was on the, on, the, on the rural part of Mysore where the very, you know, because where the Mysore school is, is really an upper scale neighborhood. And this man, it was more like where all the people with not so much money live on. Um, and then the person who introduced me was my richer driver. <laughs> so I got the best of the best. I couldn't literally almost not understand a lot what the man I was saying. I could grasp. And my rickshaw driver would kind of like tell me, insane, da -da -da, and I'm like, da -da -da -da. but I think I'm already accustomed to that because my first meditation teacher is also from India. So I got, and I just got accustomed to trying to figure it out what they're saying to you. Uh, but it was really interesting and a very humble experience, especially that they, he was so poor and I really wanted it to buy fruits and things and that for him. And he would just not even get like bananas from me. Like, no, mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm like, please, please. Mm -mm -mm. All right. So given that he was exactly that, given, given. And again, um, just see if that resonates with you. I mean, it's, again, it, it, it did for me, and I don't know if it will for you, but that's all what I can share. It's like try every day to make everything meaningful for you. But really try, not because of a book, not because of a this. It's because I will ensure you that you'll feel so much better. Turn off the phone turn off the radio, and then do only one thing at a time and see how you feel at the end of the day. You might sleep so much better. That's another thing. You sleep so much better. When your mind learns how to disattach, to calm, and to just like, okay, it's time to sleep. That's it. You know, I don't need to do anything before bed. I don't need to answer 30,000 emails. Things can wait. You know. Any other questions? No? Well, thank you so much for coming today and putting your time and all you guys, thank you for also allowing the conversation to be both ways and putting your ideas and your thoughts. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Namaste. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Chat and Chai Yoga Talks from Miami Life Center. Thanks for tuning in. In our other episodes, you'll find talks on each of the limbs of Ashtanga Yoga according to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And come visit us. We're in the heart of South Beach in Miami. Miami Life Center is dedicated to the study of yoga and the lineage of our teachers, Shri K. Patabi Joyce and his grandson, Arshrat Joyce.
We have Mysore classes, guided classes, pranayama, restorative classes, and we even have workshops with world-renowned teachers and community events going on all the time. Sangha, translated as community, is really important to us at Amalsi. We recognize it as a necessary pillar for walking down the spiritual path, and this podcast is a way for us to extend our Sangha to all of you listening, to create a stronger and more connected community of yoga practitioners. If you're interested in learning more about us and what we do, or if you just want to stay in touch, visit our website www.miamilifecenter.com or follow us on Instagram at Miami Life Center. Thanks for listening to Chat and Chai, Yoga Talks from Miami Life Center. Namaste.